0: Welcome to the Recruitment Flex with Serge and Shelly. I'm Serge.
1: And I'm Shelly. And we talk all things recruitment starting right now. Got the KY and the condoms ready for my summer of love. (laughs) Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Recruitment Flex Thank you for joining me because, as always, I do have my very favorite person in the world, Mr. Serge Boudreau and co-host of the Recruitment Flex. Serge, how are you doing?
0: I'm doing great. So I'm your favorite person in the world. Wait till I tell your kids.
1: Oh, (laughs) the favorite adult.
0: (laughs) Okay, fair enough. Fair enough.
1: Yes, I always look forward to our times together. What's on the agenda today, Serge?
0: There's tons that we're going to talk about, but first of all, I... I want to share? I'm going to be away a couple of days this week because it's my 10th year anniversary. I can't believe that I've been oh, married.
1: Congratulations!
0: I can't believe any woman would stay <laughs> with 10 years. So we've been together 15 years, uh, married oh, 10 years, and three kids. Congrats. So this weekend we are mm-hmm. going away. We have the parents-in-law coming to take care of our reckless household of three kids under five years old. So. Pity them, but oh, I'm they'll really- have
1: a blast. Are you kidding?
0: Uh, yeah, we're oh going to mountains. And I don't remember actually the last time that I spent two days with my wife since we've had the kids. So I think it's going to be oh. a lot of fun.
1: Good What's going you. on in the world? <laughs> oh my God. So I guess I have the opposite. I'm out the other side because my three kids are grown. So last night I had a very hectic day. I was just going to sit and watch some TV. I go to turn the TV on. The remote won't work. The TV won't turn on. Then it does come on, but I can't access any of the apps. So I'm like, oh, okay. It's just the battery. So I replace the battery in the remote. Try it again. Nothing. So then I Google what's wrong with my TV. Go through all this. This went on, no kidding, for 30 minutes. And then it dawned on me. Fuck. Is it plugged in? (laughs) The plug on the back of the TV had come (laughs)
0: Shelly, (laughs) shelly.
1: Isn't that-, that emoji that the hand plant on the forehead? That was me. Oh my God.
0: Did you not try
1: to go turn on the TV like
0: manually just to see if- I
1: did, but the actual plug that goes in yeah, yeah. the back of the TV. So I'd unplugged it from the wall. I'd reset it, count, left it off for five minutes, plug it back in, let everything power back up, try it again. No, it was just simply the, the power plug that goes to the back of the TV. Oh my God. I felt like such an idiot. That's pretty common, right? Is it? Is it to actually then sit there on Google? I'm on my phone and I'm Googling all these things and it's telling me to hold, you know, the back button down at the same time as the advanced fast forward button. And oh my God. Yeah. Try checking to see if it's plugged in first.
0: Yeah. That should be the number one (laughs) rule. Is it plugged in? The IT
1: crowd. That's the first thing when you call an IT service desk, they'll say, is it plugged in? And there's a reason for that.
0: Yeah. There's a reason it for it. It's anyway, you know. We've got a ton and going on recruitment space. And actually, the first thing I want to highlight: so James Ellis, who's been in our show, favorite person in the whole employment brand world.
1: The guy absolutely, is- he's a granddaddy. <laughs>
0: So the books that he's released, Talent Chooses You, which we've talked a lot about mm-hmm. on this podcast, the Employment Brand Handbook, his podcast, which he's not recording a lot right now. The Talent Cast is one of my favorite employment brand podcasts. So what he did, is actually released his two books completely for free in Google Docs. If mm-hmm. you are in recruitment, you're an employment brand, you're in recruitment marketing, go download it. It's employmentbrandbook.com and you can download it for free. Such a great thing to do. What's your thoughts on that?
1: So here's what I love is he opened it up so that you can now go in and comment. And you know me, when I'm reading a book, I've got the highlighter out, I'm writing notes in the margin, so I can't wait to dive in. Actually, that is what I'm going to do for fun this weekend. Call me a, go- a dork, call me a nerd, but I've got that whole book. I can't wait to get in there and see if other people were thinking the same thing when they were reading certain chapters and sections, and like I got a ton. It's going to be almost like having an interactive book online. Like, I think it's brilliant. I do. And just the information
0: that's on there as far as there's, you could go through that book 20 times and get new insight every time you do it. So.
1: And be entertained every time. Oh my
0: God. He's such a great storyteller. Yes. there's nothing bland about James. Do go listen to our our past episodes with James because they're to me the most interesting episodes we've done and it's written exactly the same way you can see his personality come true so thank you James.
1: I want to introduce our topics that what we're going to talk about today.
0: There's always some fun topics so this week I want to talk about a couple of things. There's an article that I recently read and I think is very relevant is the seven habits of great recruiters. We'll go through the seven. I think we'll deep dive on a couple of key points. Some of it is, it's very straightforward. The next element is what recruiters lose in a remote work future without an office. So Mm. are there things that are disadvantage of not being in the office? This article that I read is more based to staffing, but I think it can be for staffing and corporate. And then the last topic is, uh, so there's this great recruiter nation survey done by JobVite that was done in 2020. And there's going to be so many topics that we'll talk about that in the coming episodes. But one that you pointed out and I thought was interesting is the usage of LinkedIn usage from recruiters is going down. We'll deep dive on that one. Do we want to start with the first
1: topic? Let's start there. So do you want to give everybody a quick overview? What are the seven habits?
0: of course i can
1: thank you
0: so the number one habit is keep the big picture in mind
1: the Mm -hmm. second
0: one is dig deeper the -hmm. third one is thinking outside of the box fuck i hate just that term though (laughs) do you continually self-improve how you nurture a talent community Mm -hmm. track metrics yeah. And be proactive. So nothing you shattering in there.
1: But you're speaking for yourself. This seems logical to you. But I think for a lot of recruiters, maybe, especially those who are maybe within their first three to five years. This is gold. I really think so.
0: Which one really stuck out at you?
1: So a lot of them do seem really intuitive to me, but. Like I said, I've been in recruiting for more than 25 years. I think for me personally, it was tracking metrics. There will be periods of time where you just feel like you're on a hamster wheel, right? It seems like you're doing everything right, but you're not closing any of your open requisitions or job orders, depending if you're corporate or agency. Tracking metrics for me was my concrete way of knowing that I was moving in the right direction. What I was most proud of is when I saw myself go, like in the agency world, I went from a seven to one that is referrals to hire. And then when I made it to five to one and then three to one, and I pretty much the rest of my career stayed at three to one, that to me was a real milestone. You're not competing with anyone else. So, for me, I knew that was one of my personal goals. So, tracking metrics for me has always been important for me to know that I'm getting better at my craft and what I do.
0: So, do so, you think recruiters should be tracking their own metrics, not worried about what the business is measuring, but having your own metrics that are the guiding light if you're successful or not?
1: Yes. So, I think if you are tracking metrics, it will naturally flow into the corporate objective. I I don't know any company that would find fault in you tracking your own personal metrics. Like all of it contributes so long as you're doing it in order to improve, which is the whole idea. Why would you track it if it wasn't to get better?
0: So personally yourself, if you're tracking your own metrics, your recruiter What would you track?
1: Like I said, for me, it was how many referrals it takes to make a hire. That's where I'd start, certainly. And my days to hire in the staffing agency world, days to hire, that to me is a measure of have I developed a relationship with this person? And then the other thing that we talked about recently was declined offer stats.
0: Yep. I think those are all good metrics. And I, and honestly, I've never heard of a recruiter tracking their own individual metrics, but I think it's phenomenal. But all the metrics you mentioned are lagging. What do you think about leading metrics as far as how many candidates you've talked to those types of metrics? Do you think those are important as well?
1: Clarify a little more. Do you mean as a staffing agency person?
0: Staffing or corporate, everything you mentioned, your days to hire, mm-hmm. those are all lagging. So they're all based on results compared to leading metrics are, are items that how many candidates have I reached out to and that, how that correlates mm-hmm. to how many hires. Like, I think in activity, basically, do you measure any of those activities?
1: So I saw them as one and the same, really, because I, I don't think you can have one without the other, meaning like my referral stats improved, because I was talking to the right people. And I had developed relationships with with the right people, whether or not I could work with them and place them today or not. So tell me which which of those stood out to you, Serge? I think
0: there was two key ones. So continually self-improve. I think a challenge in the recruitment space is we get used to doing one thing and we really don't evolve from what's made us successful maybe 10, 15, 20 years ago. We have the same approach and this is where the skill set for recruitment has changed pretty dramatically. and The whole market has changed. So If you are not aware how recruitment marketing works, there's fantastic courses you can take on candidate attraction, what's the right marketing message, improving skills outside of recruitment as far as negotiating, also improving your sales skills. Those are all elements that you should always continually Mm self-improve. One of the elements that makes an average recruiter to a great recruiters are the ones that are always improved, always on top of things. Like Tim Sackett says, he he does a demo every week with HR tech providers, and he gets learnings from what's happening in the market. There's so many free resources as a recruiter that you can go out there and get that there's no excuse to continually self-improving. The other element was nurture your talent community. So, mm-hmm. so when we talk about talent communities, there's talent communities that a company or a staffing company, they manage and most of them do a really poor job at it. When reality as a recruiter, you should be nurturing your talent community. People that you know are going to be the perfect candidate, maybe not right now, but they're going to be two years from now three years from now because it is a small world. Now, the connections we make today and how we nurture those relationships can mm-hmm. make it big difference in two to three years if you think about the types of candidates you're dealing with knowing who these people are and where they're in their career and keeping in touch with them is going to be valuable for you for any recruitment role that you do take because it's a lot easier to call jim that you had a relationship or he applied for a job two years ago it just wasn't a fit you build that relationship it's just picking up the phone so If you look at it, your days to hire, your time to fill, all those metrics can be a lot faster if the rec opens and you know exactly who you're going to put that role right away. So I think nurturing your own talent community, aside from what your company is doing is absolutely critical.
1: Yeah. Do you know, I think nurturing your talent community, if you want to stay in the business, to me, it just seemed intuitive. It is a habit that you need to form for sure. And when you look at those who are very successful, they have very deep relationships. We think about Kim Wilkinson and how deep her relationships are. Everyone knows if you're looking for anything in accounting, you go talk to, to her. There's another person I've known for years who only does tax. Anybody who's in which is regardless of the industry, the company, agency, corporate doesn't matter. Everybody needs a tax person. And so she has the deepest relationships. So anybody coming out of school that wants to specialize in tax knows her. Yeah. so I think it's very wise. It's a good investment in your time
0: the The other thing they mention is, digging deeper. And I think this is a really big challenge for recruitment as far as how deep and how they really get to understand and know the roles, know the hiring managers. And the ones that do it really well usually have extremely good relationships with their hiring managers because there's that trust that's been built,
1: Mm -hmm. even
0: though initially it's a challenge, as we've talked about many times, to really get in depth with that hiring manager, but it's also digging deeper with the candidate, really understanding their motivation, really getting to know them. Because in reality, possessing all the skills is not enough you still need to be able to demonstrate you can work within either that culture, that environment. So there's many things as a recruiter, we really need to understand what's behind the wall of that resume. And same for the hiring managers, really understanding what is behind that wall of that job description. Great point, Serge, for sure. So let's move on to the next topic. We talk a lot about What it's going to look like when people are going back into the office. Obviously, a lot of companies is not going to go full bore, but there is going to be disadvantages for some recruiters not going back into an office or not having the same environment. Before I go into the key points, do you agree or disagree? Is there a disadvantage of a recruiter not working in an office?
1: So I would say for those that are just in their first five years, I can definitely see the huge advantage for being surrounded by a group of people. I even think about myself. I learned more from listening to someone else on the phone, talking to a candidate or on the phone, talking to a hiring manager than I could have done. Had I read the book or the how to guide or went to a training session? So it depends on the type of learner that you are, but certainly for me, it was really important. That's the type of learner that I am. I pick up on the nuances. I would pick up on body language. I pick up on pauses when someone's speaking or responding. So that being said, I think the more experienced you are, the more likely you're not going to need that. Now, if I owned a staffing agency, I would want my senior people to be in the office because that's how you share your knowledge a couple disadvantages they mentioned
0: is first not being in the office and and having your team work from home one of them was building relationships through informal exchanges we all know about the water cooler talk we all know about those types of conversations that we have at the kitchen we meet someone in the hall you do lose that in some ways. If you're doing it from home, you just have to be more proactive in, in making sure that you're on top of that. You're trying to create those relationships and a little bit more deliberate is the right word to say. I, I agree that is a disadvantage, but it's not one that you can't overcome. You just mentioned this one, learning by osmosis. Mm-hmm. So actually seeing people doing it and seeing people that are very successful. So say you're senior recruiting at a staffing firm. They've got the conversation down pat. They have the questions yeah. down pat. They, they know how to react to different situations. So, definitely a disadvantage if you're earlier in your career. You mentioned it, and I want to dig in a little bit deeper. So, for those junior recruiters, they're going in a situation that they're not going back to the office or it's going to be very fluid. What advice would you give a junior recruiter? That's not going to have that opportunity to really learn by
1: osmosis. You just touched on it, Serge. If I were in their shoes, I would be very intentional. You need to be the one to reach out and ask to have get to know you meetings. I I had this flashback when you talked about water cooler talk. And I remember in the corporate world thinking, what a waste of fucking time that was. Like, I really don't care if your potty training isn't going well
0: honestly, I don't
1: fucking want to hear it. I'm there to work. I'm on my way to a meeting. I stopped by to grab a coffee and I, I really, I didn't find a lot of value in that. Now, on the other hand, building relationships in other parts of the organization and people on your team, that means you proactively reach out to them and ask, Hey, can we do a 20 minute get to know you? And I think HR plays a role in helping jumpstart that as part of their onboarding Meaning maybe the first two years in your career, if you're really going to uh, bring in new talent and train them up, the the trade-off for hiring them, obviously at a lower salary is the fact that you're obligated to train them if you want them to be effective. So I think there are a lot of tools that HR can provide to new hires. And it's not just recruiters. I think it's hiring anybody who's within their first two, three years in the professional world. Someone
0: needs to guide them, but also you need people that are going to take the onus on their own and really manage their learnings. It's a responsibility of that person to increase their skill set to learn the job. So there's a mixture of both.
1: Yeah. Until you've worked in a place with a union and employees who have been conditioned over the years to be spoon fed. I saw it with my own eyes. Couldn't believe they would actually sit there and do nothing unless they were told to do it. Those are the ones I'd be curious. I think it'll be a fascinating MBA study for somebody to go back and look at those employees who were very militant about their collective agreement. Now they go to working from home and now back to a hybrid. I would absolutely love to see a study that revealed um, how those people adapt and coped, because they really do operate, unless you tell me to do it, I'm not obligated to do it. And that's how they operate, Serge. Yeah, but
0: can you blame that in the long term completely to being spoon-fed in a union environment? Everyone, there's personal responsibility. If you're going into another organization that doesn't work like that, it's, it's for you to adjust. And if you don't think so, you're probably not an employee I want anyways in reality. Well, but the
1: union protects them. You can't get rid of them
0: yeah i know that's god
1: bless our recruiting brothers and sisters that are having to recruit and work in a unionized work environment
0: definitely it didn't fit my thought process hey
1: somebody's got to do it yeah (laughs) just not us (laughs)
0: well uh the next point was informal observations i think that goes a little learning by osmosis Mm -hmm. sense of purpose and belonging Do you think that you can have a sense of purpose and belonging working in
1: a hybrid or work from home model? Of course I do. And and I know you and I are cut from the same material on that topic because I do feel like I belong. I feel like I belong with 23 different corporate cultures and the clients that I work with. And however, I think we also need to acknowledge that not everybody's like us. There are a lot of people that really need to be around other people in the flesh, like other humans, because that's what energizes them. Those were always the people from last March until present day. My biggest worry was for those who really need that energy of being around other people or otherwise known as extroverts, like a true extrovert gets their energy from being around others, whereas I'm more, believe it or not, an introvert. I I get my energy from decompressing and and being solo. So by that definition, yeah, but realize what percentage like 50% of the population
0: I look at the companies that I felt most ingrained in their culture in my career and they've been remote compared to companies that I've worked internally. I think culture is a whole lot more than what the office environment is. I agree. What is the culture? Is the company successful? Are they treating you right? Are they giving you all the tools to be successful? And I think a perfect example is when I worked at Indeed, uh, I was remote. And so we had offices <laughs> and one of the elements, they wanted to make sure that remote workers felt part of the culture in the office, you would basically literally have a fridge and every snack you could ever imagine. It was a wall of fridge of every possible drink. So working remotely, you wouldn't have access to that. So what they started doing is every month, they would send you a full grab bag of all these different treats, snacks, drinks. Wow. So they did that to basically make sure that people at home... any different from the people working in the office, which I thought was great. I thought as far as building a culture and building mixing that work from home and working that office culture, it's a way to do it. Make everyone feel inclusive and part of that culture itself. So
1: yeah. The other uh, thing you the other thing you just touched on though, Serge, I think the greatest part of this equation is your boss, whoever you're reporting to. Like it's not managing somebody remotely does not mean you're babysitting them. No. It means that as their leader, you ensure that they're not at a disadvantage. I think the difference is made by who you're reporting to. So our last topic, Serge, I want to introduce this one because I am a self-proclaimed data nerd. Jobvite every year puts together surveys and I honestly, I can't wait to go through them. This one In particular, they did uh, Recruiter Nation, 27 pages, and it's got so much information. I just love it. I just love it. But there's one in particular that in some senses, I wasn't that surprised. And I wonder where it's headed. And that was uh, when they talked about recruiters using different social media. So you and I, social media means what? In recruiting, social media means LinkedIn. LinkedIn. Facebook, maybe Twitter, Instagram. Is that what you would think of when you think of social media in recruiting?
0: If you ask people not in the recruitment industry and you ask them like social media recruitment, they would all go to LinkedIn. And if you look at most recruiters, LinkedIn, when they're saying they're leveraging social media and I found this dealing with different clients and what do you do in the social media they Say they were very involved in what they mean. Is LinkedIn? I think that's changing. I think this data shows that it's changing, but I still think there's a ton of confusion of how to leverage social media for recruitment. It's not just posting your jobs on on Facebook, Instagram, and I see so many companies, and it drives me absolutely insane. Just basically spamming their feed with different jobs. And this is like from your Facebook career page to your LinkedIn page to even your Instagram. Yeah. Social so, media is more than just spamming jobs.
1: Yeah. So if there's one thing I would also ask, please stop with the one liners. I'm hiring for this. And I see recruiters do that. And it's one sentence of a job that they're hiring for. Like, who fucking cares? Anyway, I think even if we go back to 2017, LinkedIn would say, no, if you want to advertise a job, you have to get a job slot and so on and so forth. And what I've seen is they've started relaxing it over from 2017 till certainly 2020. What was not allowed four or five years ago is now becoming more commonplace. And so I think people get turned off by it. The Jobvite survey data showed that in 2017, 92% of recruiters used LinkedIn. Now, dial the clock forward to 2020, and it's down to 72%. That is, I would say, probably the sharpest drop they have ever seen. What do you think, Serge?
0: Can you deep dive on that? So 92 to 72%, is this leveraging just in-mails, LinkedIn recruiter?
1: Is it posting jobs? Did they elaborate? I didn't see it. No, it's just the use of LinkedIn.
0: Just the use overall? Just the overall
1: use of LinkedIn, which I'm pointing to when you allow the quality of whatever you're posting on your site, when you allow the quality to drop, it's going to erode your followers over time. Is that common sense? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. So what I'm, my connection to this is just, I believe it's because LinkedIn started to relax the quality control pieces of the experience of being on LinkedIn.
0: I think they're uh, really dropping the ball is their job site aspect is a complete fucking train wreck. uh horrible experience. So the sad. Jobs are not matching mm-hmm. to actually real companies. There's even an exercise that they put together to ask companies to match their jobs that are posted on LinkedIn. What a fucking mess. Oh so my God has become the same experience as Google for Jobs. The candidate experience is probably better on LinkedIn than Google for Jobs, but it's still really bad. The jobs are not matching. Uh, There's a mix of aggregate to the job slots. But then the other element is LinkedIn Recruiter. LinkedIn Recruiter is basically the end all of sourcing for, I would say, 90% of recruiters out there. You're basically swimming in a sea of sameness, everyone's trying Mm -hmm. to contact the same people on LinkedIn. And really, unless you have a really compelling message or something to differentiate yourself, what's your response rate on LinkedIn and mail right now? Like 10, 7, 5%. I've heard different ratios. If you're in the tech sector or any high demand sector, your ratio is almost nothing. So if you're only using LinkedIn to source and that's your only sourcing method, you're fucked. Like it's time to look at other places that you can source. So, say you're looking for a specific skill set. You're looking for a designer.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: How many designers you think that are being targeted on LinkedIn? And unless you're a company like Google or Apple that has incredible brand recognition, you're not sticking out. I'm just saying there's multiple ways you can leverage different elements of social media to recruit. Instagram's an interesting one. I've leveraged Instagram for recruitment, but not to post a job. I leverage it to basically showcase my culture of why people should work there. And I think that's part of your recruitment strategy. So
1: I don't know. You just reinforce the seven habits that we, that make you an effective recruiter. You think outside the box, you just raised, you know, the two really good points, Serge, and in that Instagram is not where you post your jobs but it's where you create awareness. And so it is part of a channel strategy. And then the other thing you talked about was joining a talent community. Because if you the only talent community you belong to are other recruiters, okay, good. That certainly um, supports the fact that you should always be learning and learning from others. Good on you. But to be part of a UX designer conversation where you can intelligently contribute to that conversation, if they are your peeps or that's part of your talent community, that's where you need to be. You need to be on those channels, whether it's meetup or wherever those people are and you're not there to necessarily, hey, you want a job, change no, you need to show up as part of the community. Social media channels can be used for good or evil. <laughs> Do you know what yeah. I mean? Because and- many times you'll be you will be frozen out of a group if all you're doing is going in there and pitching, "Oh, hey, I'm from XYZ staffing firm and we got jobs." Oh my god. Well, put this in
0: perspective. So say right now you are a full stack developer. How many LinkedIn in-mail message do you think that person is getting? Like we're talking about hundreds, possibly a month. How do you stand out from there? These people are avoiding LinkedIn because they're getting spam by so many uninformed recruiters to their message are very bland. Most of the time they even screw up the name of their company. I've seen so many examples. I think Katrina Collier has like a hundred examples of her book of how we screw up approaching candidates on LinkedIn. Why not find other places where these people are, they're engaged, build that relationship, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you're ready to go at that particular point when you have a role that's a good fit for that particular person. Same for designers. So LinkedIn in mail is for highly sought roles. They're mm-hmm. just, those people are not on LinkedIn. They might have a profile, but they're checking it once or twice a month. And that's hard for us recruiters to Understand that because we friggin' live in LinkedIn. Like, I probably check LinkedIn 10 times a day. Really? Um, yeah. Oh yeah.
1: my God. Well, I've always got LinkedIn open, but I, yeah, maybe I guess. Quite honestly, I'm probably the same. I've never sat there and counted how many times I look at it. If someone were to message me, but we're in the business. We are in the business. LinkedIn, as in terms of a social media channel, absolutely. Do I use it to recruit, though? No. I use it truly as a social media channel.
0: Well, I use it for both. So when I say I use it for recruiting, I use it for research. I use it to get a sense of who that person is and trying to find who potentially could be a fit for a role. So I can't say I don't leverage LinkedIn for recruiting in any way. Do I send out a message on LinkedIn recruiter? Not a whole lot. I try to find a way to to get as much info. You do your research. One aspect is looking at their LinkedIn profile. If they're a full stack developer, you're looking at their GitHub profiles. You're looking at Stack Overflow. If they're a designer, you're on Dribbble. You're on Behance. So when you're reaching out to them, You need to be able to communicate that you understand who they are and why they should be a fit for your role. So we are going to talk a lot more about that survey. Social media recruitment is still one aspect that maybe confuses me because talking to different recruiters, there's different mentalities of how social media is used to recruiting. And if you talk to people not in recruiting or hiring managers, they just want to share their job. In reality, the visibility on sharing a job on LinkedIn is almost none. Like you'll get one like, maybe 50 views, even if your network is 5,000 connections on LinkedIn. People just don't share it. It just doesn't get the activity that LinkedIn loves Mm -hmm. in their algorithm. So you're just wasting your time, in my opinion. But
1: I agree. I agree. And I think that's why the survey data showed that it's dropped to 72%, where it was at 92%, intending to use LinkedIn as a recruiting tool. Do you think LinkedIn long-term is in trouble? I do. And I said the same thing about Workopolis. When they stop innovating and they stop investing in their technology and in their tools and in their product, because they really haven't done anything of real significance for the recruitment community, we keep waiting that Microsoft is actually going to announce they'll do something with it.
0: Well, they're doing a lot on the content play side of it. And they've really opened that up to basically for content providers, people. Leaders, they've done a really good good job on that end. But in reality, there's nothing on the recruitment side in five years that's interesting.
1: It's too valuable to do nothing with. And because they're owned by Microsoft, my assumption is that they're pretty smart cookies over there. They're going to do something with it, but it's probably not what we expected.
0: Well, full of the money. In reality, we all know this space. There's tons of investment. But in reality, in the grand scope of things, HR and recruitment is is a very small portion of where potentially their revenue would come from. I'm looking Mm -hmm. at sales. I'm looking at marketing. And I think that's where they're trying to shift, basically to drive the revenue to keep that growth that they're on. But they have a really unique opportunity with Microsoft. So think about just the synergies between Microsoft and and LinkedIn and being just the central place of work because you've got Microsoft. But we've been
1: saying, everybody's been saying that the synergy since Microsoft bought them, but they haven't done a fucking thing with it. What have they actually done? There was such hope. And even now we're still hanging on by a a hope and a prayer that they're actually going to do something really innovative with it. I'm just so disappointed. So are, will they survive? Nah, I don't know. I think in the long run, it will become passé eventually, if it hasn't already. Hey,
0: do you know what's it become very passé really quickly? Clubhouse.
1: Yes.
0: So, Clubhouse.
1: Certainly in North America. I think in Europe, it's still there's a different audience there.
0: Just your new subscribers is down dramatically month over month, which is not the trend any social media.
1: Which is uh, why we have a podcast. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, and, and honestly, I've tried a couple times too, and I'm like, I don't. Yeah, this is not my cup of tea.
0: I, I don't get it. I, so I think Clubhouse will be dead really quickly. I don't think will exist in a year from now. I think the podcast format, even though in some ways feels antiquated to some people, but you think about it and then there's 800,000 podcasts on Apple Podcasts, 800,000 mm-hmm. podcasts are there. The biggest challenge is a lot of them stop after, I think, after five episodes. So, Yeah. Clubhouse will be dead before LinkedIn. LinkedIn, I'm telling you, they have a long runway. They won't be dead tomorrow. They've got 10 to 15 years to really figure it out. I don't hate Microsoft. I just hate the Microsoft suite. I hate Microsoft Teams. I I just think there's so many better tools out there than leveraging those. But that's why I will not work for a corporate company that leverages only Microsoft because... I I just can't do it. So I'm that. (laughs)
1: You're such a snob. Oh, my God. Serge, listen, it's been a blast. I hope you and Diana have a wonderful anniversary. Don't talk about the kids. Focus on her. Don't take your eyes off her, Serge. Be a wonderful husband that I know you are. And have a great time. How much do you understand the future of finance? I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast, Banking Transform, where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts,